welcome to the very first ever Hill of Beans podcast with Chris and Eric. Um, my name is Chris Bayer. I own Black Mountain Coffee Roasting in Idlewild, California, and with me is uh, Eric Landis of El Buen Cacao, also in Idlewild, California. Uh, we are two small business owners, and uh, Eric, why don't you tell us just a little bit about what, what you do and who you are, but don't go into too much detail because that's what's next. So, I am a craft chocolate maker. I make chocolate from scratch, do the whole process. So that means I take our ethically sourced cacao beans, roast them, dehusk them, and grind them into liquid chocolate. Temper and mold them into bars, truffles. We make drinks, all that fun stuff. Um, cool. I mean, that's a great Eric in a nutshell. Um, so we're here to record a podcast because we feel like we run businesses that are small and somewhat unique, especially in the community that we live in, which is a small mountain town in Southern California. We rely heavily on tourism to make a living, but we also have a really good local clientele that likes to support local business. So we kind of have the best of both worlds. I know both of us have websites and you can buy our products online if you're interested. Um, but really what we want to do is talk craft, talk about what makes handcrafted products like Eric's chocolate and our coffee and you know some of the other stuff that we do for fun uh, really special and unique and why consumers should be out there trying it or if you're maybe in the mindset of one day opening your own chocolate business or coffee roasting business or even a cafe because Eric has a cafe and I have a history of running cafes um, that's why we're here we want to help, you know, spread the word that handcrafted, well-crafted products are really kind of foundational to the culture right now. I think we're seeing a pretty good um, resurgence of people doing small business in a big way and making an impact on the big, the market at large in whatever arena they're in, whether it's, you know, furniture making or even web design, that kind of stuff is still, if it's done well and it's done with love and, and, and great care, it's a really special thing. So that's what we're here to talk about. Yeah, so. So. Eric, why don't you tell us a little bit about El Buen Cacao, your business, uh, and what you do, how you got started, and uh, all the all the details that one might want to know about you. Sure. So, back in 2015, um, my wife Jessica and I opened up our little shop in the back of the Village Lane in Idlewild, California. Um, we did everything in that little shop the whole process the roasting everything and it was a little shop like by any standards i think square footage for the whole thing manufacturing and everything what was it like it's like 230 ish yeah 250 max maybe and then like your customer area out front was like maybe 40 square feet yeah it was it was, it was a tiny place and the good thing about it was people come in they could smell the roasting beans they could see the grinder grinding away. Um, but a lot of people didn't know what we did or who we were. And that's 
why I'm interested in this podcast because not a lot of craft people out there. There's some, but not nearly the amount that there should be. So, like, you get a customer into your shop and, and you're trying to convey your your passion for chocolate and they go, oh, yeah, yeah, I had, I, one time I had this, like, Ghirardelli chocolate at California Adventure when you walk in and they hand you that that delicious square and it was the best thing I've ever had in my life and then someone like you reacts in a, in a I'm sure a very unique way whereas someone like me who's not that knowledgeable about craft chocolate would be like oh yeah for sure that's one of my favorite things too but your your take on something like that and conveying like the actual passion behind what you do must be a totally different reaction yeah it's completely different um, I always let the customer know to look at the ingredient list of chocolate before you before you purchase it and Ghirardelli's it's been around a long time but they're still adding a ton of stuff to their chocolate so for us we that's not a huge portion of our business we want to give people chocolate so when you have a 80% bar from us you're tasting cacao and sugar and that's it you're not tasting soy lecithin or anything to kind of dampen the the darkness we are unapologetically dark we love dark chocolate and we think um, people need to taste the product and not a bunch of garbage mixed in with the product to lighten it um, so um, we started up here but we were making chocolate at home for quite some time before we opened up our shop my wife and I both were uh, contract archaeologists working in Southern California deserts. Um, and for about four and a half years, I worked in Desert Center, which is halfway between Blythe and Indio. First day of work was 123 degrees. And I think a couple German tourists died. It was, uh, it was interesting, to say the least. Um, but did that for quite some time and uh, was ready to move on and working for myself for my family has been the best thing that I think I've ever done. Do you ever find a, any like Snickers bar wrappers when you're out there digging in the dirt or <laughs> what? What? No. Well, you find a lot of weird things, uh, dirty magazines <laughs> and um, all types of <laughs> weird things in the desert. But we, we did find stuff. We found a lot of uh, pottery, some uh, projectile points and we also found a lot of stuff from general Patton's training ground out there so canteens 50 cal shells it was uh quite a unique unique place awesome awesome so you were in archaeology and how did the chocolate thing what started it did you have like a, a really great like uh, candy bar somewhere i, mean, I don't know no. I mean, we we like the history of chocolate, so it's easily got 5,000 years of history. And it, it still, we get that question quite a bit. Like, oh, wow, how'd you go from archaeology to making chocolate? And, I, you know, it comes from the same areas that we're interested in. So Mexico, Central America, South America. And um, the cultures there, especially Mesoamerica, you know, you see chocolate production throughout the murals you see it on vases you see it on uh all types of pottery and different things and um it's an important part of their culture um unfortunately it came here and became a sweet and became kind of a candy we don't necessarily uh think our chocolate is candy it's it's a health food it's food it's good for you 
Now there is sugar in it, but it's still good for you. So when you talk about chocolate, kind of the migration from the historical food item from Mesoamerica being, I mean, I don't know what you would, how you would say that, but it, eventually it wound up in Europe because of the Spanish, I would assume. I don't know anything really. Yeah, so it after conquest of Mexico and the Americas, the Spanish brought it back to Spain and they're making uh, still liquid form instead of being a bitter chili drink or it wasn't always a bitter chili drink, but it was definitely a bitter drink. They added milk and they added sugar. If they could afford it, there were some Spaniards who weren't wealthy and they would just add water. Um, but it, it stayed in uh, Spain for about a hundred years before other Europeans got it. Uh, and it just went crazy. And then different things happened. The cocoa press was invented by the Swiss and they were able to uh, press out the cocoa butter. So you had cocoa solids and um, the cocoa butter and you could eventually make a milk chocolate. And you started getting bars and truffles and like, not necessarily truffles, but like chocolate treats. Mm. And eventually, you know, chocolate became what it is today with the over-sugared junk food. So, I mean, what do you do at El Cacao? I mean, you kind of touched on it briefly in the introduction, but talk about what, what do you buy and then what do you sell? Like, how does that work? So, we import beans from, right now, all over Latin America. Uh, my uh, beans right now are from Dominican Republic. Um, but we get them in large sacks, uh, usually burlap sacks, but not always burlap, about 70 kilogram sacks. Last batch we bought was a metric ton. So we get them, we roast them, take the shell off. And what's left is the cacao nib or the cocoa nib. We grind that in a stone grinder, two granite wheels and a granite base. And the cocoa bean has about 50 to 55% cocoa butter. So it'll liquefy with the friction from the granite wheels. We let it grind up for up to three days because we like fine, non-gritty chocolate. Uh, it doesn't have to be ground that long, but that's how we do it. And we add sugar in the beginning phases of that once it's liquefied and we let it grind. Um, we then take it out. We either pour it into containers and let it block up. We wrap it and let it sit until we're ready to use it or it goes directly in the tempering machine where we temper it into dark chocolate bars or truffles. My wife, Jessica, makes all the truffles. Um, truffles and bonbons kind of chocolate or filled chocolates. <clears throat> and then we also use the block chocolates for chocolate drinks. So hot chocolates, sipping chocolates, chocolate and coffee. The, the list is uh, pretty vast. And that's pretty much it. At, at what point in the process does it go from kind of industrial work to artisanal work, in, in your opinion? I mean, it's probably going to vary from chocolate manufacturer to chocolate manufacturer, but would you say it starts at it's in sourcing? The, or It's in the refining process. And it's also sourcing because usually industrial chocolate doesn't source the best cacao beans, not the fine flavor beans. They go with cheap some of the larger name chocolate um, companies do that. Yeah. Cheap, cheap, cheap. Usually West Africa is the, the biggest grower of cacao right now, even though it originated in the Americas. Um, cheap labor, cheap chocolate to make a cheap product. And then they add a ton of stuff. So after grinding the nibs in the liquid chocolate, that's when they 
if it's a large company, they have a cocoa press to separate the butters and the solids out, and then they just start adding stuff, stuff to help it so it doesn't melt. Um, usually, if it's not fine chocolate, they add vegetable oils, soy lecithin, all types of things that we don't add. We're a three ingredient chocolate, organic cacao, organic cane sugar, and if it's espresso, organic espresso beans. No lecithin, no garbage. Awesome, awesome. And I mean, I've had plenty of your chocolate over the last few years and it, I mean, it is truly the best chocolate I've ever had. I've bought chocolate bars in health food stores and in, you know, convenience stores and there's, it doesn't even, it's like a totally different product. It's not anywhere near what you would think of like a Hershey's special dark or something like really inexpensive off the grocery store shelf. Um, so why or how did you find yourself transitioning from like what sounds like an educated, you know, career, a career for an educated person into something that's more, I mean, not that it doesn't take education, but I mean, definitely a less formal style of learning to become a chocolate maker. Yeah, that's interesting. I, it, and I always ask myself the same question, but it was a lot of schooling for archaeology. I mean, I didn't go all the way. I didn't get a PhD, but it did it was expensive and it's uh, time consuming. I just wasn't going where I wanted to go with that. And I've always wanted to work for myself, always. I've had this desire to be my own boss, which as I started to do it, I realized it was really interesting. It wasn't quite what I was looking for in certain aspects. I mean, it's, it's very stressful, but I, I do love it. Um, So Chris, enough about me. Why don't you talk about yourself and Black Mountain? Right. So, um, wow, Black Mountain Coffee Roasting is our business. Uh, we are a specialty coffee roasting business, and we incorporate a tasting room into what we do. So, um, Black Mountain is all about um, small farm direct trade coffee from around the world. We don't focus specifically on organic or fair trade. We focus on quality. Um, yeah. Why not organic? Um, in the world of coffee, organic has started to lose its meaning. Um, it really doesn't have anything to do with quality at this point. It really is a mechanism for farmers that don't grow top quality specialty level coffee to get a little bit more money for their product. But in exchange for that, they, they have to pay a certifier and maintain their organic certification through them. So for me, it would be like paying more money for a lower quality product in a lot of cases. Now that's not 100% off the, off, you know, everywhere, but from my experience as a coffee roaster, um, and I've been roasting coffee since 2000 and late 2009, early 2010, um, it just, isn't worth it for the business that I want to have. Um, I'm really more focused on quality and unique coffee. And, and honestly, for us, uh, the story behind the coffee, where it came from, who grew it, that's almost as important as the quality of the cup of coffee that we're providing to people or the beans that we're selling online or in our store. Um, 
it's been a really interesting process to go from working for another coffee shop, uh, managing a cafe, and then becoming the head roaster there over time, where we did focus on organic and fair trade exclusively, um, into doing the coffee business the way that my wife and I, Katie, Katie is my wife, uh, have um, kind of built our plan for doing business. And it's a lot more fun and interesting for me to focus on quality because, you know, at the end of the day, I roast coffee for other people, but really the passion behind it is, it's kind of this thing where I just want to produce the best coffee that I can uh, at any given point in time. So for for the, the you know the, the short answer I guess then for why not exclusively organic is because I want the best that's out there and organic doesn't provide that necessarily I agree definitely agree we we have the same thing with chocolate even though we're certified organic we kind of have to find certified organic uh, chocolate beans it's um, not always the best I found really 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 good beans from non-certified growers who can't afford the certification process unfortunately now we are certified so we have to do that or do a a non-organic bar but right so i mean we we offer organic coffee i'm i wouldn't say we don't ever offer organic coffee but in terms of high quality most of the coffees that we have that have been the best of the best over the last few years since we opened have been non non-certified coffees so direct trade certified yes um, but not organic certified um, one of our most popular coffees right now is what we use for cold brew and that's an organic certified coffee from mexico that's just pretty darn good that's what we're drinking right now um where in mexico is it from it's from chiapas it's the southernmost province it's on the guatemalan and I want to say the border to Belize as well. I'm not the best with geography, but I have a fairly solid understanding of the coffee world. But um, yeah, it's uh, organic Chiapas, so really, really good stuff. And um, it's kind of a hard coffee to roast, if I'm being honest. So I'm a little bit proud of where we've gotten it to. But sadly, it's almost gone because that's what happens with coffee. Um, especially with single origin direct trade coffees um, you're not always able to get the same quality year after year Um, so that's what we focus on at Black Mountain we're here you know in Idlewild the tasting rooms open Friday Saturday Sunday and Monday and um, we do some wholesale business as well with local customers like El Buen Cacao who has probably the best espresso single origin bean that I've ever encountered and then other businesses locally here that uh, support us through buying wholesale coffee. And then obviously our, our website, we sell all over the country right now. Haven't done anything international uh, just cause the shipping is outrageous. Um, so we haven't opened up to international shipping, but we have had a lot of customers that are here in our little vacation town, uh, you know, spending their time relaxing who find us and then they want to take a piece of Wild home with them, and we're one of the shops that allows them to do that. And hopefully, you know, maybe they buy online in the future or even better, join our coffee club. Um, so that's what we're all about, is just trying to help people make the best coffee possible at home or in their cafe or in their restaurant um, and really sourcing our beans 
for that purpose. So not trying to fill voids in a flavor wheel or anything like that, but definitely looking for the best quality that we can. And then finding the best roast profile for each bean so that it can suit a need. So somebody's desire for a coffee, you know, like a, I would say like a Ethiopian light roast or a Guatemalan medium roast or maybe a Brazilian dark roast. Those, um, not in terms of profile per se, but definitely in terms of how they come across as a cup of coffee. Um, so we'll, I'll use the adjective, you know, light, medium, or dark to more describe the flavor profile to people that aren't real familiar with the coffee lingo. Um, and then that helps them to understand what they're buying. Um, so as far as what we do here, we, we source beans, green coffee, we buy... I would say between eh, three and five, uh, three and six hundred and fifty pound bags of coffee a month, usually from different origins around the world. And then we get to work and we start roasting coffee. We usually do a few test batches to kind of hone in on the sweet spot for each bean. And then um, one of the great drivers of our business is our coffee club. And we send out two bags or four bags of coffee a month to most of our coffee club members. And usually they're getting one or two new coffees or two new roast profiles every month so that they get to kind of join us on this journey of uh, coffee flavor and um, really explore and learn about what they like and what they don't like in terms of coffee at home. Um, so that's, that's kind of really the driver. And then since then, we have uh, really... I think most of the coffee I roast now is either for retail sale in our shop or for wholesale customers at this point. But um, that's that's how we pay the bills and not how we have fun. Um, so, Chris, um, why'd you get into roasting coffee? Ooh, um, so I used to work in the construction industry in my basically almost the entire way through my twenties. I was. Um, I delivered stuff to construction sites and then I became an installer for uh, kitchen and bath cabinetry and then I became a kitchen and bath designer and then I became a, a supervisor for a large corporation that did kitchen and bath uh, cabinetry and tract homes and then in 2007 when the recession really kind of took hold of the construction business um, I got laid off as well as like a hundred other people that worked for the same company in the same office that I worked at and that kind of put me on this this path towards um, finding something else to do with myself because I thought at one point I would be in the construction business for you know 20 or 30 years and retire someday and it was okay and I somewhat enjoyed it but it wasn't like I wasn't passionate about it the way I'm passionate about coffee and I would honestly say it took a year year and a half to two years before uh, I took at my wife's uh, request, a, a job in the local coffee shop. I didn't know anything about coffee at all. I knew that, you know, I could make coffee at home and I could buy it at the grocery store, you know, and I had been to Starbucks and, you know, the coffee shops that most people frequent. And I, you know, buy coffee at 7-Eleven or a.m. p.m. in the morning. And I didn't love coffee, but I drank coffee. Um, So Chris, 
what differentiates your coffee from, say, Starbucks or some cheap coffee you get from the grocery store? I think the main thing is that we buy coffee with purpose and we roast it the best we can. And, you know, that creates a little bit of variance. Um, I think we're really aware of where our coffee comes from and who it's supporting, which is something that most big companies don't try to focus on. I noticed like a trend with um, like uh, Green Mountain and the Keurig company. They've got a couple of commercials now where they're talking about like the farmer who grew the beans and that's great marketing, but it's not like where the rubber meets the road. And when I buy coffee, I really want to know as much as I can about the farm and the farmer, you know, at least is what, what I can get from where they're from, how long they've been doing it. If it's a family traditional business, if it's something like some investor came in and bought all this land and it's. I mean, I may steer clear of those coffees, you know, not for ethical reasons per se, but just because it's not as interesting. Like I want really great coffee with a really cool backstory or, or where I know that I'm supporting somebody who's got, you know, maybe an orphanage involved in their, in their business or they're supporting schools or they're building wells and, you know, maybe they don't have the money to be organic certified, but they grow great coffee or maybe this is the first time they've grown coffee that was good enough to be sold as specialty coffee. So being able to pay a premium for great coffee like that, to me, is what really changes a small roaster like Black Mountain Coffee to be something completely different from a commodity grade roaster, like let's just use Folgers as an example because everybody's had Folgers coffee. And what they offer is consistency. It's consistently mediocre. and what we offer is hopefully super premium, but it still has um, uniqueness. So every time you brew it, when it's fresh roasted, from day one to day 15, things are going to subtly be different. And that's something that I think can be enjoyed rather than um, ridiculed. Like, Oh, this coffee doesn't taste the way it tasted yesterday. No, it tastes different because it's it's like a, it's a real thing. It's a real product. It's like fresh baked bread tastes one way right out of the oven and tastes different three days later. It's not good or bad either way. It's just different. Um, hopefully, if you're starting at like top quality, it's not going to get terrible. It's going to be good and better. And with coffee, you know, uniquely enough, it tends to get better for. A little while before it kind of peaks and then it tapers off so it's a fun and an enjoyable experience and a lot of people out there make a hobby out of their their coffee habit um, I think those are the things that really make a small roaster different plus I mean when you buy a bag of coffee or a you know a can of coffee off the shelf in a grocery store you don't know the guy that roasted it you don't know who you're supporting you don't know with us I mean if you're here on a weekend, our whole family's here. You know, it's me, my wife, Katie, our two boys. And um, you, you really get a sense of you're getting this great premium product, but you're also investing in a little business and a little family, you know, to boot. And I know that that's something that we have in common, like when, when people come into your shop,
So, Chris, why craft? The craft. So, well, first off, Eric, let me correct you. Um, in the coffee world, it's specialty coffee. So, I know the chocolate world hasn't come around to the, <laughs> the fine lingo. Um, craft coffee, I think, uh, or specialty coffee, as it's more properly known. Um, why should people get into it? Honestly, it's not for everybody. I, I mean, people pick and choose the things that they want to sit and relax and enjoy. For the people that want to use coffee as something more than um, a kickstart in the morning, uh, that they can actually sit and enjoy and analyze the way a wine enthusiast would drink wine, specialty coffee is for you. Um, If you find yourself disappointed with every coffee you try uh, off the grocery store shelf or from Costco, then specialty coffee is for you. Um, There's a lot more care taken from soil to cup in in specialty coffee on every step of the way. Um, For us, it goes down to, I mean, when I make coffee for customers here in the shop, we don't use any equipment like a big brewer that you would see in a restaurant or that you would see in a coffee shop. We do everything by hand. I weigh out each portion of coffee individually um, and I brew it to order so if somebody comes in and says hey what do you have hot that I can just grab and go I'm like sorry this isn't we're not for you I mean if you want to stick around for a few minutes and have a little bit of a conversation about what you're looking for in a cup of coffee um, I'd be happy to take care of you Uh, but we're not trying to do the convenience thing it's really not about convenience when you're talking about high quality product you you're you want to not a reverence for, per se for it, but really an appreciation for the work that's gone into it. Not just my labor or my work, but the work of, you know, the farmer, the guy that went out and picked the perfectly ripe cherries off the coffee plant. You know, the guy that processed that coffee, the guy that turned it and dried it perfectly, the guy that packaged it, the guy that shipped it out of the country that it came from, the guy that took it off the, the boat here you know, every step along the way with specialty coffee, it's, there's great care taken. You can't say that about grocery store coffee. It's just a commodity. It's just like the different. There's a bigger difference between commodity coffee and specialty coffee than crude oil and premium gasoline. There's just a bigger difference there. All right. Well, that's... Well, what about with chocolate? Why not just go get a Snickers? That's exactly how I feel. I, I, I feel when you're getting craft chocolate, at least the kind that we make, you know what you're getting. We're a max of three ingredients. Organic cacao, organic cane sugar, and whatever else is in there. If it's a sea salt bar, Celtic sea salt, that's it. So you know what you're getting. You know that you're getting chocolate from an ethically sourced small farm. Um, we don't hide anything in our chocolate. And I think that's how people are starting starting to look at when they buy anything food related. And that's how it should be because you're putting that in your body. So to me, it's a big, uh, it's a big uh, seller to get food that's proce- processed the way it's supposed to be. You know, right. you shouldn't have to add a bunch of garbage to your food and chocolate is food. So that's how I feel about that. Right, it's like what I tell people in the tasting room when they come in, we always try to get them whether or not they are a cream and sugar 
person or not, please try the coffee black. Try it hot, let it cool down a little bit, and then try it again and really kind of get a sense of what's there. Um, and, you know, use all your senses. Use your eyes, use your nose, use your taste buds, and, you know, um, really kind of take in the experience of what you're, what you're doing. Don't just consume it. You know, it's not, it's not a shot of alcohol to be drank on a Friday night. It's, it's something that was really carefully created for this moment. So I think this, I feel the same way about your chocolate, even though I gobble it down like a fiend. Uh, it's, uh, it's definitely craft or specialty is, is a, something that you can really taste. All right. Thanks for listening. That's the essentially the end of the first episode of our podcast. Next time, we're going to talk about what makes uh, our businesses unique. And that's going to kind of encompass everything from the product itself to how we treat our customers to you name it. And then uh, as a special treat for Eric and I, we're going to taste some sort of a new creation that each of us has come up with. So stay tuned. And you'll be able to talk to our wives. Yeah, and hopefully we'll get the ladies Listen here. Listen to our wives. Hopefully we'll be able to get the ladies here uh, to join us in talking about what we do and why we why we think we're special and uh, why hopefully our customers think we're special too. So take care and we'll talk to you next time. Thanks.